I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. I suspect on a Sunday like this, we're on a variety of places, uh, thinking about matters of life and spirituality and faith. And, um, so, uh, and one of the things, the point I wanted to make today is that your spiritual journey, to the extent that you want it to have integrity and to be sort of ultimately fruitful for you, needs to connect you with reality, with truth. Um, and this is important because sometimes we think, well, you know, um, science has to deal with truth, like there's, there's something about science and facts out there. But when it comes to matters of religion and spirituality and faith, then really... It's, it's, it's really about feelings, and, and what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me, and, and really what matters most in the area of religion is we just all get along, and we stop killing each other over our differing beliefs. I mean, and that's, that's a great desire. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of not being killed for my religious beliefs. Um, given that many of my family died in the Holocaust as German Jews, it has a particular edge for me. I go, it's really good that we don't kill each other for these things. However, you can say that and affirm that, but at the same time not give up on a pursuit of truth, of what is the nature of underlying reality with which we have to do. And this really matters because... Reality is what you run into when you are wrong. Okay, Reality is what you run into when you are wrong. And so in the area of our spirituality, there, this is as true as in the area of our relationships, of love, of all the things that are actually really significant to us. Um, you can think about, you, you can... Maybe you're in a relationship and, uh, and, and you're friends and you'd love it to be more than friends and you build up in your mind this grand story of love and, and then you start acting on that grand story and what you discover is maybe the other person's reality is ah, there's not so much of a grand story there. You're just friends. And that's painful. But it, it's, it's okay. That's, you've got to live in reality in relationships as well as in science, as well as in faith. And, um, and this is important. There's no logical or philosophically compelling reason why when we come to think about God or Christianity, we, we're in the realm of factless feelings. It's, it doesn't really make sense. There either is a God or there isn't. There can't, be, there can't both be a God for me and not be a God for you. Does that make sense? And, and in the same way, you... Either there is a God who is this particular sort of being or another particular sort of being. And they can't, particularly if they're mutually contradictory, um, coexist. I, as I said, you might have picked this up. I, my background's Jewish. Um, my, my brother uh, became a Muslim, and I'm an Anglican pastor. So um, this made for very interesting discussions around religion in our family. Um, but what was very clear to me as I talked to my brother was uh, either Allah and the, the revelation of Muhammad uh, that my brother had come to believe was true, 
or what I believed was true, i.e. that God had revealed himself in Jesus Christ. He'd taken on the flesh of a human. There's one God, three persons, and this one God had actually become humiliated, suffered, died, and then risen again. And if what I believed was true, what my brother believed couldn't be true, and if what he believed was true, what I believed couldn't be true, because that's just the way life works. Like, that's how reality works. So you go, okay, Mark, thank you very much for that philosophical introduction. I'm just here for church on a Sunday morning. Please get on with it. That was my intro. Can we just flick to... Um, the, the most, there's a central fact or truth claim at the heart of Christianity that, that you have to grapple with, well, you don't have to, but... Christian, Christians themselves, right from the early days, the Apostle Paul recognized that everything in Christianity depends on what we decide to be true about the resurrection of Jesus. Like, it all hangs and falls on that, right? And, and he either rose from the dead or he didn't rise from the dead. That's it. Now, if he rose from the dead, well, we'll get to that. Um, so I wanted to give you, as we go from a general philosophical intro to this particular bit of reality we have to get our heads around, I want to get us uh, do a little bit of a philosophy of, uh, of history. How does history work, right? Uh, and in particular, how do we think historically, intelligently about this claim that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, there are three facts from the first century, 2,000 years ago, that the vast majority of historians agree on. And, and you'll probably find that you agree on these as well. Okay, that These are things that happened, and we, we don't really disagree with that. The first thing is that all the historians would say, yep, okay, there was an empty tomb in Jerusalem. So Jesus of Nazareth had been put in this tomb, and then by Sunday it was empty. Okay, great, okay, empty tomb, beauty. Uh, then uh, historians will also say, hey, listen, uh, it, it, there seems to be a lot of historic evidence that is reliable, and most historians agree, that Jesus, a lot of people claim to see Jesus, like 500-plus people claimed to have sightings of Jesus walking around in downtown Jerusalem, you know, and they saw him. And like three days later, he'd been dead, and his tomb was empty, and there he is hanging out, walking around Jerusalem. Like, these are, this, no one really argues that people had this experience. And then the third thing, the third fact, is the strange new religion emerged that had at its center this claim that there was a physical bodily resurrection of this man, Jesus. Okay, so... You go, okay, Mark, that's great. These are three historic facts. Well, the question we have to ask ourselves then is what do, what's the best way to account for or explain these three facts? So history works, uh, and the way we discover what was going on at a particular time is we try and discern as much as we can the facts, and then we try to come up with a theory or a hypothesis that offers the best explanation for the evidence that we have. Okay, does that make sense? Let me illustrate it. So say, um, say in a 20, 30 years' time, someone looked back on this, between 9.30 and 10.30 on Sunday morning at 668 Darling Street, Roselle, and they'd say, okay, here's some observable facts we all know are true. One, there are, you know, 120 people meeting in a building. Okay, and and sometimes they did some strange things. They 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 stood 
uh, and it was like a giant karaoke serve, karaoke event. Uh, they were singing and some, some uh, amateur musicians were banging away on the stage and some people who don't normally sing were singing down there. That was, that was well, okay, so there were 120 people in a building singing. And then they did this weird thing. They got this little weird plastic containers and they ate this cardboard-like substance with some really awful, sh- syrupy, sweet, sedimented grape juice. And, and then they talked to somebody who wasn't there quite a lot. Um, and then someone came and lectured at them. Now, now, those are all, you could say all those things happened. Okay, how do you explain that? What's the explanation for those events? Well, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Now, you could say that part of a, I don't know, part of a cult who are preparing for the return of the Martians. And what they were doing was... Uh, taking a special substance that would enable them to see and not be overwhelmed by the coming Martians. And they were talking to the Martians. And it was very important. And they'd, been, they'd, they'd learned some chants to help them uh, calm down as the spaceships came to pick them up. So that would be an explanation, wouldn't it? It's, uh, is that, no, it's not necessarily a convincing explanation. It's an explanation. The other explanation is, uh, this is an Anglican church full of people who've come to uh, worship on this Easter Sunday, in this form, at this time, and you explain it that way. And so then you have to say, as a historian, which explanation is more reasonable and makes best sense of the evidence? Now that's, I want to suggest, how we should approach Christianity. So you go and uh, you say, here's the evidence, right? Here are the, or here's the facts. This is what happened. Now how do you explain that? How do you explain that? And it's particularly important because whatever hypothesis you come up with has to explain all three of those stubborn facts. You with me? With me down the back there? Okay, great. Awesome. Now, of course, the question immediately you could ask if you had your thinking caps on at this hour, and you should because you will have an extra hour's sleep, you could say, but hang on, do we really know those three things happened? That's, you could, oh, hang on, hang on, Mark, no, 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 let's have a think. Do we really know those three things happened? Well, um, you could say, was there really an empty tomb? Well, you know, here's some good reasons to believe there was an empty tomb. One, the resurrection was preached in the very same city where Jesus had been buried shortly before. They were all running around going, there's an empty tomb. Anyone on their lunch break in downtown Jerusalem could have gone off and, uh, you know, got their, um, got their hummus and got their falafels and wandered around to the tomb and gone, yep, it's empty. It was very common. Um, the earliest Jewish arguments against Christianity admit the empty tomb. This was the big problem the, the authorities had, and it's recounted for us in Matthew's Gospel, that they said, the big problem is the body's gone. Oh, like, you know, the easiest way the Jewish or the Roman authorities could have snuffed out early Christianity was simply by finding the body. Can you imagine? Like, that's all they had to do. Do you think they weren't looking? You know, like the soldiers who were guarding the tomb, they put a, a bunch of Roman soldiers in front of the tomb, you know. Their lives were at stake. Like if, the, if they couldn't find the body, they would get killed. Uh, they would be executed as, for dereliction of duty. Do you think they were motivated to go look for the body? Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, so the tomb was in. So, um, 
Uh, the empty tomb account in the Gospel of Mark was based on a source that was written within seven years of the event. Now, this is amazing. So 2,000 years ago, um, within years of, of this event happening, there, were, there are written records of it. That's amazing. Like, there's no other historic document or figure from that long ago for which we have that level of documented evidence. Um, the, the burial story is historically reliable. Like when you, you listen and you read and study the scholars of the time, you go, yeah, it's actually full of details that lend deep credibility to it. And so do the resurrection stories. It's part of the same narrative. They, they, they're written in the same way, with the same level of historicity. Here's an interesting one. If, if the tomb wasn't empty, Jesus' tomb would have been venerated as a shrine. I mean, over the last couple of thousand years, you can get a big cathedral going and raise a lot of money by just having like a little finger of Jesus. Like imagine if you had the whole body of Jesus. Hey, that'd be cool. But of course you don't, so that's a problem. Um, and there are no signs in, uh, in the history of a legendary development of the story. You know how legends develop? Um, you start off with the simple facts and then you embellish, and every time the story gets told, it gets, you know, like, I, can, I could recount for you the stories of my sporting success as a teenager. And they were great. They were phenomenal. And particularly because none of you are in Cape Town in the mid-80s, you can't contradict my stories. And my stories can get greater and greater and greater. So uh, it is true, for example, that I played uh, state-level field hockey with a fellow called John T. Rhodes. And he was uh, one of the best cricketers in the world, played for South Africa. He's a phenomenal... Now, now it is possible that that, that, that that could become embellished to the place where John T. and I... Now, this, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago would have had more currency. I could have been embellished to a place where we were best friends and we played together all the time and I, I nearly made the South African schoolboys cricket team alongside of John T. And it just gets embellished and embellished and embellished and there's no sign of that with the resurrection stories of Jesus. They're just told and they're retold and they're retold in their bare simplicity for 2,000 years. So uh, what's the answer? Well, I think there's lots of evidence to say the tomb was really empty. It was really empty. Um, and the last one, which I love, uh, is the tomb. The empty tomb was discovered by a woman. Uh, now, obviously, w w women, you are just better at finding stuff than us blokes. <laughs> like, honestly, I mean... Hey, Margo, where are the car keys? Hey, Margo, where are my sunglasses? Hey, Margo, where's my... You know what it, how it works? So, hey, hey, ladies, where's Jesus? Well, he's not there. Well, that's, that's, that's a funny joke aside. Actually, the really significant thing was, if it hadn't happened, if they'd wanted to create a legendary story to make Christianity more believable, they would never have had a woman make the most important discovery in human history. It would have been a bloke. It would have been one of the religious leaders or the political leaders right at the top of the social and political and religious hierarchy. Instead, this, this most extraordinary discovery was made by a woman who is a very low status in that culture. And you wouldn't make that up. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't call a woman to testify on your behalf uh, to convince anyone of your story back in the day. See, Christianity, here's an aside, 
One of the other reasons we really should believe in Christianity because objectively over 2,000 years, it has revolutionized the way women are treated for the better in our culture. Now, for sure, we've got a long way to go, but Christianity has as its heart this extraordinary view that women and men are actually equal. And from the very first Easter Sunday morning, the women were the ones who told the most important truths to the bunch of men who were too chicken to find it out for themselves. Like Christianity is massively affirming of the role of women. Uh, but that's another sermon series. Then you've got to ask yourself the second truth. Okay, so the tomb's empty. Then the second truth is, listen, did the disciples and all these 500 people actually see Jesus wandering around downtown Jerusalem? Well, you've got a few options there. One, you could say they were lying. Of course, we didn't see him, but man, it's a good story. Well, problem is they all died. All the early, Jesus' earliest followers were all killed because they claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, I don't know about you. If I was telling a lie and someone said to me, Mark, I'm going to kill you on the basis of that lie, and I knew I was lying, I would be very motivated to tell the truth quite quickly. Or at least change the story so I saved my life. But they all went to their graves. Uh, tradition and church history tell us in brutal ways um, because they claimed this to be true. You could then say, well, they hallucinated. Maybe, you know, there was just a, a local fruit shop got a whole bunch of mash magic mushrooms in. And they thought they were just frying up some breakfast stuff and having a bit of halloumi and... Maybe not so much bacon, but some eggs and a lovely breakfast after Easter Sunday. And maybe they mixed in a bit of magic mushrooms, thinking they were just ordinary mushrooms. And then for the next 40 days, they wandered around Jerusalem just hallucinating. Whoa, Jesus! Whoa, Jesus! Um, typically, you know the thing about, I don't know if you've ever had a hallucination. Typically, whole groups of people don't share the same hallucination. Like, they're, they're deeply individually specific. Has anyone in your experience ever had exactly the same dream that you've had that you can both remember and recall? It just doesn't happen. Hallucinations are fundamentally individualistic and uh, not commonly testified by large groups of people over many days, 40 days. And, and they had an experience of, uh, of eating with Jesus, like hanging out, eating with him. Having him say, come to Thomas, come poke your hand in my side and check, I'm real. Ghosts, hallucinations, don't eat, don't drink, don't do everyday human embodied things en masse. Um, so then the question is, well, maybe they really saw the risen Christ. Like that's, that again, that's, that's that claim. And everyone agrees they claim that. And maybe they claim that en masse because they actually did. But here's a, there's a thought. Um, and then you might say, um, maybe the early church's preaching about the resurrection happened as a result of non-historical religious influences, i.e. not the physical fact of the resurrection. So maybe what happened was Christianity started, and then over time, to justify its existence, they started to claim that the resurrection happened. Um, uh, and so the, their, their ideas developed. And you could say maybe there were later Christians. So, so this is what some people would say, right? And, and it's worth thinking about. Um, the resurrection didn't really happen, but Christianity got going. And over the first couple of centuries, they started to develop the idea or the legend that, that actually the resurrection must have happened. So they kind of wrote that back into the story. 
the problem with that is actually the whole start of Christianity is unbelievably implausible without the actual fact of the resurrection. It just it straight boggles the mind to think why would they have started uh, a, a movement that changed the world unless some world-changing event had, was at the center of it. Um, you might say there are pagan influences. So uh, you'll hear this in, the, in people who think about the, um, the comparative religions. They'll say, oh, you know, every religion has a, has a, has a dying and rising God mythology as part of it. Um, yeah, don't have time to go into a full uh, discussion around that. Two points to make. Most of those myths have actually very little similarity to Christianity. Um, it's, it's, it's a long stretch to see any similarities. And even if there are similarities, you could say, as Tolkien and C.S. Lewis said, that these similar myths in other cultures are really ways that God has given to prepare cultures for the one true myth. That is, when Jesus came, this mythology that is found in other religions actually was made concrete in space and time with Jesus. The other thing you could say is, well, okay, maybe it wasn't pagan influences, maybe it was Jewish influences that shaped them. And again, no, because Judaism had no conception of an individual resurrection of a person before the end of the world. So what in, in Jewish uh, writings of the time, there was a view that at the end of history, there could be a general resurrection of Jewish people. But the idea that a person here and now would rise again is essentially unthinkable. So we get back to our little picture. Three facts. Uh, and in the last 20 minutes, I hope I've shown that it's actually reasonable to think those are facts. Those three things happened. Now you've got to say, what explanation do we give for those things happening? And when you add them all together, I'd be very interested in your, in your thoughts on this. And, and come and do Alpha to try and test your thoughts. Um, there's the, the best way, and in fact, the only way to actually make sense of these is to say the physical resurrection of Jesus is the best explanation for these events. It actually happened. Um, you can try and work your way around that and try and say, oh, no, I don't, I don't, but, but it, it, and very open to this discussion and would love to have it with you. And you, you, if you entered this discussion seriously, you join a community of people over 2,000 years who have tried to find an alternate explanation and time after time have ended up arguing themselves into following Jesus because the intellectual uh, rigor, historical uh, truth, and the logic of it just forces you to say, oh, I think it's true. By the way, this, this is essentially why I'm a follower of Jesus, because my emotional engagement with God goes up and down. Um, my, my cultural background wouldn't have led me to believe this, but over the last 30 years, I've become and continue to be increasingly convinced of the depth of the truth of this, and there's no better alternative. So what? You say, thank you, Mark, for that historic uh, little lecture. Some of you might have found that interesting. I hope some of you found that interesting. Some of you might have found that really boring, and you're like, oh, geez. Okay, tell me something that I can use. Well, here's the first implication, man. Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's Lord and God. Like if he rose from the dead, all his other truth claims are validated, and he claimed to be God. So, so, so most of us struggle, most of us think there's some kind of a God, but we don't know what this God is like. We like to, we like to think, as I started off at the beginning, saying, well, God can be God, your God can be your God, my God can be my God, we're all the same. If the resurrection is true, then there's only one God, 
And this is the one God who has taken human form in Jesus Christ, has died and risen again. And that's just as best as we can know what happened in time and space. This is capital R reality. And it's best with God, as with the tax office, to bend your will to the truth of theirs. <laughs> right? Like, you just, this is the truth, right? So submit to it. Like, Acknowledge it. Um, the second thing is, and this maybe is even more profound, there's hope for the future and comfort in the present because death is defeated. You see, if this actually happened, then your life is not pointless. Um, you will all die. Margot told me not to start with that sentence. I am prone to do that. So notice I'm ending with it. But you will all die. I will die, you will die, we will all die. But if the resurrection actually happened, death is defeated. So though you die, you will be raised again with Jesus Christ, and the world has a glorious, happy ending. Like, it's, it's an extraordinary truth, right? And how else do you make sense of life? <laughs> like, if there's no resurrection, if, if this is all there is, I mean, that it might be the case. But what if, what if there's a much better story? It may, means fills our lives with meaning and purpose and hope. And it gives us comfort in the present. We know that those who have passed, who have lost, who have died, uh, aren't necessarily dead after all. We know the comfort is this. No matter how difficult and painful life is, this is not all there is. I'll, I don't. I could ask you for a show of hands, but maybe I won't. How many of you are 100% satisfied with everything that is occurring in your life right now and you can't imagine anything better ever happening and this is just phenomenal and you have no regrets? Seriously, not just the, I'm a rock star and I have no regrets. But no regrets and everything's just brilliant and you have no fear of ever losing what you have now. How many of you are in that state? That's good because, you know, no, we are full, our lives are full of regrets, full of disappointments, full of pain, full of suffering, and it only gets worse. And if this is all there is, if there's no resurrection, then this world is empty and, and, ah, oh, it's just so hard to live in. If the resurrection is true, life is still hard, but death isn't the end. Jesus has come to do something about it, our last great enemy. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. And I want to close by saying this. I have, you, I have been trying to convince you and me that Christianity is true at its heart, at its core. Um, and that the resurrection actually happened. Now, I may not have convinced you. If you weren't convinced at the start, or you're a little skeptical, I may not have convinced you. But I want to ask you this. I want to suggest this to you. Isn't the story of the resurrection something that even if you don't believe it were true, you wish it were because it's such good news? Don't you go, yeah, man, I'm not sure I believe it yet, but bam, that is a good story. And I wish that were true for me because I think that's where we land, right? So then, of course, the question is engage your mind, hang out, think about this stuff because uh, if it's true... It's the most extraordinary truth in the world. Um, 
If it's not, if it's untrue, then you should also be very, very convinced of that and you should spend a good chunk of intellectual and emotional energy discovering its untruth. But what you shouldn't do is just go, eh, it's mildly important, doesn't really matter, I'll go on with my life. That's a, that's a, that's a difficult stance to take. And I would suggest one that lacks a bit of, a bit of hope and a bit of courage and maybe even a little bit of integrity. Because you've got to think about these things. So let's pray. And, uh, and thank you for listening so well, or at least giving the impression that you were. Our Lord God, um, thank you that you love us. And I pray for us as a community that we will engage our minds in grappling with what really happened 2,000 years ago as best as we can know. That you will work in us to help us understand what is true in the area of religion and spirituality. Uh, that you'll give us a real humility as we do that open to change our minds, to learn new things. You'll guard us from any arrogance when we think we found the truth. And I pray very, very much this Sunday morning that when we, we cut through all the intellectual and historical arguments that the comfort and the hope of the resurrection will be made real to us today, particularly those of us uh, who are going through very difficult times right now. And there are many of us in that, in that boat, Lord. So, um, yeah, thank you. Amen.